Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, I'm Brian Ashton, and it's a real privilege to be invited on uh, Inspiring Leadership. I'm uh, looking forward to the next hour or so. Um, I'm a Lancastrian, a very proud Lancastrian too. If anyone ever asks me, I'm an Englishman, I say, probably partly. The Lancastrian's far more important than the English, Englishness in me. Um, I was a school teacher, I was brought up in South Lancashire, uh, I was a school teacher for a number of years and I also coached rugby, played rugby, um, played cricket, played football, so played multi-sports and eventually when rugby went professional in 1996 I decided to take the plunge at the age of 50 which was a, a really interesting decision which maybe we'll talk about during the hour. Um, leave teaching which is a fairly safe profession, and go into the, the Wild West world of professional sports. And sure enough, for the last 20-odd years, that's exactly what it was. Um, but um, at the moment now, I'm just working. I retired from hands-on coach. I work as a consultant, coach, educator. And maybe we'll delve into that a little bit more during the next uh, 60 minutes or so. Brilliant. Brian, it's uh, a great pleasure having Brian Ashton, MBE. Congratulations on your MBE. I think it was 2008 you got it. Um, as, a, as a boy growing up in Yorkshire and, uh, you know, following rugby with my brother playing it uh, a lot and me playing badly, uh, I always admired, you know, what you went through, the highs and the lows and the, the, the period 2006 to 2008 with uh, the, uh, the Rugby World Cup and the Six Nations. Um, and there were some tough times and there were some great times. But mm. let's go back to, to, you know, the leader you are today and the coach you are today. Um, but let's sort of take it back to your upbringing in Lancashire and, and who was it and what was it that gave you the values and the kind of leadership traits that you've passed on and taught others? Just take me through a bit of the story in early life, if you would, Brian. Yeah, I think um, obviously, you know, my, my family had a big influence on my, my upbringing. We, we weren't a wealthy family. Um, my father was a coal miner, then became, uh, worked in a warehouse, and my mother was a cleaner. Um, and so we lived a very modest sort of life, but a, a very honest sort of life. Um, my father had to get up at, I think it was around four o'clock every morning, to walk to a bus terminal, which is two miles from where the house was, because no buses came through Lee at that time. Wow. And so, so it was pretty tough going, but it, but I mean, a lot of other people live like that in the area as well. So it, it, it didn't seem to be anything unusual. And I suppose one of the early lessons, like you just got on with life. You just mm. got on with life. And, um, you know, you were very grounded right from the start. And I think that that's one thing that's really uh, stayed with me all the way through, that, you know, when things have not been great, I've managed to stay relatively grounded and um and it's been very it's been very effective and very useful for me mm. um i i one of my earliest memories is playing playing in the streets 
Um, in fact, my great memories are the 1950s of playing street games. And it's a bit bizarre, really, and I suppose we might get round to this, that I think my coaching life came full circle because I looked at my coaching when I was sort of ending in 2008 and I'd almost got round to uh, coaching in a sophisticated 21st century street games manner. Um, so I'd gone through lots of twists and turns to get there. But that, that was, that's quite an interesting story. Mm. But it, for, obviously from street games, you'll learn a, a lot of things. You'll learn resilience. You'll learn to be creative, inventive, imaginative. Uh, you'll learn discipline too, because in a street game, if someone came out with a ball and didn't like what was going on, he'd pick the ball up and walk off. And that's the end of your street game. So there's a little bit of discipline and responsibility, teamwork, a lot of competition. So all, all those great sort of characteristics of, of life. Um, so that, that, that was to always look back with great fondness on the street games. And just now and again, because uh, sadly my parents are no longer with us, uh, if ever I have the inclination to drive, <coughs> excuse me, through Lee, I always drive down the street where I used to live and just look at the little areas where we used to play rugby league, because Lee was a rugby league town, where we played cricket, where we played football, all on different patches of cobblestones, dirt tracks, and they're still there. Um, you know, where my sporting career really started. Mm. Um, I went to, uh, I actually won a scholarship. And this is another thing I'm ever grateful for my family for because my mother and father made great sacrifices, financial, I think, um, because I won a scholarship to Lancaster Royal Grammar School and went there as a boarder. Uh, There's a great furore and interest in Lee because no one, I mean, you and anyone from Lee have been to a boarding school before. Mm. And so I was on the front, front page of a Lee Journal. Well, in my school uniform. Yeah. Uh, but actually, fortunately, I, I don't think I wouldn't have gone if they'd had to pay the fees. I actually won a scholarship to go. And wow. uh, I'm pretty sure the only reason I got the scholarship because it was called the Ashton Scholarship um, after Lord <laughs> Ashton in Lancaster. Um, I, academically, I didn't live up to a scholarship boy's uh, uh, expectations at all. But um, so I was there for five years and I think one of the guys who really influenced me there is a guy called Doug Cameron, who was my housemaster. Um, very much, again, uh, he was a Cumbrian, um, down-to-earth sort of guy, but very, very strong moral values and always wanted his boys to do the right thing, even if it, it was painful at times, so to, to do the right thing. Sorry. And, and, and no, no, I was just going to say it, the Lancashire or Gammas Grammar School was a lovely connection because it was Kevin Roberts who recommended you to be on the Inspiring Leadership series. Mm. And uh, you were just telling me, I found that fascinating how um, when you were doing the, the Rugby World Club, he, he was a manager of the, uh, I think you remember you saying the, the, uh, the American team. You and you say, met yeah. afterwards, found that you'd been at the same uh, L, um, um, Lancaster yeah. Royal Grammar School yeah. three years apart. And that both of you uh, had had been um, uh, what was the word I'd write say expelled I suppose yeah, were, expelled uh, we were yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and and you've started the black was uh, it the black sheep society do you want to tell us about that and how you got expelled and how he got expelled yeah well I got I got expelled um, I think I was sixteen years of age and when I, I remember going home in the Easter holidays um, and. I was quite envious of the my mates because you know they would we just start to get interested in girls and all sorts of other things like that. And of course, to boys boarding grammar school, then 
that sort of thing just didn't exist. Um, you know, it wasn't exactly prison-like, but in the 19, early 1960s, there, were, there wasn't a lot of freedom, to be honest. Mm. Um, so that, I think that was one thing that was probably praying at the back of my mind when I went back to the school. Um, but the catalyst for it was I was sat in lunch um, on the first day back and um, I was in, the, I've no idea what they call it now, but I was on, in the lower six at that point. And uh, the cricket captain, who incidentally was my halfback partner in the first 15, um, came over to me, said, look, full practice this afternoon, full whites, etc. I said, well, look, I'm sorry. I, I won't be able to put any whites on because my trunk that all my clothes travelled in hasn't arrived yet. We never had a car. So it came by rail and it hadn't arrived for whatever reason. Uh, I said, but I'll, I'll, I'll borrow some things. I'll, I'll get out there. But he said, it's got to be full whites. I said, well, I'm not all that sure I can do it. He said, well, the chances are then if, if you don't come out in full whites, we're going to pick the team this afternoon for Saturday's game. And I, I didn't say anything. I thought that's a bit rich because I played already played two years in the first 11. I played when I was 13 um, in the first 11. And he'd only played, it was his second year. So it's my third year. But he was captain. So anyway, we had this, and it was a public argument. <laughs> you know, it was at the dinner table with all the other all the other guys listening in. So I sort of left, went up to my study, and I've no idea why to this day. Um, I thought, bugger this. And I, I packed a rucksack and wandered down the hill from where the school was in Lancaster. I must have passed, Jonathan, 10 members of staff not one of whom questioned me where I was going, because I was going away from school, not towards it. Uh, got to the railway station in Lancaster, jumped on the train, got off the train in Wigan, got on the bus in Wigan to Lee, got off the bus in Lee, and stood there thinking, Brian, what the hell have you done? <laughs> what the hell have you done? Your parents, given all the sacrifices they've made, will go absolutely ballistic when you get home. So I immediately, being pretty resourceful from my street games days, I immediately looked for a hiding place. <laughs> sure enough, I found one on the corner of the bus station known as the Regal Cinema. Ah, uh, the cinema. Yeah. yeah so I, I went in there. It was about two o'clock in the afternoon and actually stayed there till, till it closed at 10 o'clock in the evening. So I was in there for eight hours. The bad news was I watched the same film three times through. <laughs> It was Cliff Richards' summer holidays. Was to put, I mean, with any, if, I'm not supposed to Cliff Richard will ever watch this, but if he does, apologies. It's the worst film I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but I watched it three times through. Left, uh, made my way home, absolutely terrified still of going home, until one of my friends saw me and I explained the situation. He went and got my father. Father came out, and for the first and only time in my life, um, he burst into tears. Yeah, really. wrapped his arms around me and I thought wow how fantastic is this what I didn't realise that uh, the grammar school had contacted the police because obviously I've been missing for about eight to nine hours now and Lancashire police have been on uh, on alert to, to oh, try right. and, me, and yeah. I've been in the regal cinema <laughs> um, anyway the police the police turned up eventually and when I told them where I've been and what I've been doing they just burst out laughing. They said, that's punishment enough for anyone watching that film. <laughs> like this. Just left me to it. Well, uh, that's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. These experiences we go through at, uh, at different stages of life. Yeah. Very, uh, so I, I went back with my father, went to, back to the school the following day, but the headmaster wouldn't let me back in. I think uh, things would be slightly different now, but uh, it was yeah. the same guy that expelled Kevin. 
yeah. Neither yeah. of us got on with him particularly well, as you probably remember from Kevin's. Uh, I remember from Kevin's story getting a getting a girl well, pregnant. So I went to because uh, you, you actually asked him. I mentioned Doug Cameron. Yep. Um, who was my housemaster? Then I went to Lee Grammar School and re- redid my A levels. So I started the sixth form over again. And uh, I had a real massive influence uh, from a rugby point of view at Lee Grammar School. There was a guy called Bev Risman who was appointed, he started the same time that I did. He was appointed to teach biology. Bev Risman um, had played for England at Rugby Union. He'd been on the British Lions tour of 1959, broke his leg in the first test against New Zealand, but scored the winning try in the fourth test. Wow. Well, I think the tour was 32 matches long. They they were, because they travelled by boat, so they stayed out there for three or four months. Uh, I think he'd been on the Lions tour before he played for England, and he may well have been a Manchester University student when he went on the Lions tour. Incredibly talented player. Amazing. And he turned professional. He turned rugby league and came to play at Lee got a job at Lee Grammar School and he was my rugby coach for the next two years. And um, he had a massive influence on me in terms of uh, sort of liberating my mindset and freeing up my mindset to play the game. He said, as you want to play. Yeah. Well, that, that's often been the theme that you, you've thought differently. You even describe yourself as somewhat of a maverick that you're always thinking about different moves and stuff. That's been a defining thing you've been and that's what i enjoyed about people like general rupert smith and mike jackson they, they do things differently yeah. from how the orthodoxy would do mm. and i think it's been a theme throughout your life that there's been the sort of the old guard of the rfu and sort of the, the set ways of doing things and you were quite different from that mm. and sometimes butted up against them fell out with them but uh, you know believed in your own values and i respect you for that Absolutely. Let's, yeah. let's let's go back to during your life, perhaps your your proudest, happiest moment uh, and what you learned from that. And then perhaps your darkest, blackest moment in your personal life or your work and what you learned from that as well, Brian. Yeah. Uh, well, it actually both concerned family, I think, uh, in terms of life. Hmm. Uh, proudest moment, I would imagine many people's life when your children are born. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've got a son and a daughter. Um and I, I must say, I'm not the greatest father the world's ever seen because uh, I, I don't see a great deal of them, but they seem quite happy with that. Um, but um, I, I do appreciate, you know, the the values of family life. And I think the thing that it, it taught me when I had children is that, that life, when you bring life into the world, maybe that's a biblical way of saying it. And if it is, I didn't mean it like that. When new life comes into the world, you realise actually there will be life after me, mm. you know. So it sort of, it sort of hit home that whilst you're here, just make the best of what you can, or yeah. what you've got. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was a real that was a real lesson for me. Yeah. Uh, I maybe took it to extremes because I spent a lot of time in certainly when my children were small, um, being away involved with various England squads and. Uh, both as player, not not player, sort of coaching and et cetera, uh, the under-19s, under-23s and senior team. And so I didn't see a great deal of them when they grew up. Yeah, uh, I was also teaching at, uh, at Stonyhurst College, um, which was a pretty full-on boarding school in Lancashire. And so it was a seven days a week job. Um, I was a, didn't call them housemasters, they called them playroom masters. It was a good old <laughs> Jesuit f- phrase. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm not a Catholic, so I was I was a non-conformist in that school as well. Um, so actually, I, I didn't see a great deal of them when they, when they grew up, but um, but but I, but I do remember thinking, looking at them, and when when they were very young, and thinking, wow, you know, there's going to be life after me. So just get on your horse, Brian, and, and get cracking. Yeah. So that that was that was probably the proudest moment. Um, the darkest one was same with the family. Was was I had a, my mother and father both died and I had a younger brother and he died as well. And I was, so I was never present when the, when it happened for the three of them. My father died, sat in an armchair one night in 1984. And he missed by one year, my first ever appointment uh, with the senior England team as an assistant coach. I went on the 85 tour to New Zealand and he would have been incredibly proud. I think of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, then unfortunately, my, my brother died. Uh, we'd sort of drifted apart. He was, if I was nonconformist, he was way out uh, in a whole variety of ways. And I, I think he, he died of, of a drug overdose. Sorry. Yeah, and didn't really know anything about it until we were informed three days later. Um, my mother was still alive, and, and that should never happen. Mm. You know, the, the parents outliving their kids. I know it yeah. does but uh, it shouldn't, not in that situation anyway. So that was tough. And then my mother died. So that was, um, yeah. So that was pretty tough, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but given given the resilience that I've found um, during the early part of my life and the sort of resilience my parents had shown, um, especially putting me through Lancaster Royal Grammar School for five, five and a half years, then... Yeah, you know, I managed to handle it. Mm. I wouldn't say I handled it well. It, it, I, even now, um, you know, there are times when I just sit and reflect. Yeah. Um, I just wish things could have been different, been better. And I, I actually remember the very first time, um, and my wife Helen reminded me of this the other day when we were talking about it, the very first time uh, I actually walked out onto the pitch before an international at Twickenham in two February 2007, England, Scotland, when I've been appointed head coach, I stood in the centre circle and looked up at the sky. Uh, just wondering if, um, you know, they might be watching down. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Yeah. I'm sure they were. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Uh, those, those are a very, yeah. very tough moments. Yeah. And, um, it does make us really think my, my brother, Graham, the one I mentioned, who played for the North of England schoolboys against the Kiwis, uh, right. so number eight. Um, he's a surgeon and someone decided to try and murder him in January by breaking into his house in Nottingham. And you might have read it in the papers and uh, stabbing him with a big kitchen knife and trying to burn the house down. And uh, he's only just lived. But it, it brings things home, Graham, yeah. 60, 65. Yeah. Just how uh, fleeting life can be. To, to make the most of it. Absolutely. Just uh, whilst just lifting the gloom a little. <laughs> yes, let's be more cheerful. Let's be more cheerful. Yeah, so when did he play? Can you remember the year that he played? Oh, gosh. Well, um, was it around the middle 80s? It, it probably would have been, actually. Graham Perks, yeah. He, he was, as I say, in Yorkshire, and he, he played so, the North England School Boys against the Kiwi team. 1984 85. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be guessing, because he's 65 now. He'd be around that time then, wouldn't it? Probably. Yeah, yeah. Were you, were you coaching them? 
No, I wasn't. But the New Zealand schools team spent three days at Stonyhurst College. Yeah, yeah. They stayed at the college. It wow. was a training base in the north of yeah. England. That probably would have been the same time. And the coach was now Sir Graham Henry. Wow. Who coached the All Blacks to a 2011 World Cup win. That's the thing I've noticed in any conversations you've had and even just chatting to you. You've got an amazing memory of certain connections and friendships you've had and people you've played with or coached. Has that always been something you remember names and places and people? Uh, yeah, not as well as I used to. Yeah, well, it always well, goes with all of us. No, I'm 74. Yeah, my yeah. short-term memory, I think, is, is on the wane. Yeah, but yeah. Long-term memory, yeah, it's, it's still still relatively good. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and taking us back to long-term memory, take us back to when you were 18, uh, Brian, and you were, you know, your oh. school days, all, all the knowledge you've had and the coaching you've taught yourself and you've learned from all your reading and stuff. What bit of wisdom would you give the young 18-year-old Brian? Um, God, that's quite a tough one, that, to be honest. Knowing what you know now, and which might yeah. have helped change your life, perhaps. I th yeah, I think one of the things that I struggled with when I left school was, was being authentic, initially. Yeah. Was being me. Yeah. Um, I was... I, going back to what I mentioned 10 minutes ago about Bev Risman, mm -hmm. who actually played rugby union and rugby league in a non-authentic manner. And he recognised that sort of characteristic in me, that I was pretty non-conformist. When I started playing senior rugby at the age of 18, I was five foot seven, 11 stone, wet through. And I was playing with some big guys, even in those days. So I had to, I had to behave on the field in a way that was different to keep out of trouble, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing was that um, when I eventually started teaching and coaching, I was the most um, command, control, authoritative, dictatorial teacher and coach you'd ever seen in your life, um, which was completely at odds with the way that I lived my life and played the game. Yeah. Played games. So I was a real Jekyll and Hyde character. Mm. Uh, and obviously you're not like to be particularly effective if you're sort of masquerading as someone else. It's so interesting you say that. Uh, I, I, I relate in a different way, Brian. I, I had my moment to go and be an instructor at Santos at the Military Academy. Yeah. And, um, you know, you think you've, you've arrived, you've been selected by your regiment to go there and yeah. train people up. And, and I acted as a bit like you, command and control, authoritarian, yeah. uh, so unlike what I'm really like. Yeah. But I thought that was what was required. Exactly. And, and, and I got an average report and was told that, you know, the other guys who went on and became generals were much better. But that yeah. was a moment for me to reflect, which is why I'm doing the inspiring leadership work I do now to help others. Because I, I had a crisis. I reached out to people who knew my dad when he was alive yeah. and, and I'm, I met with them. And they, and they said, you know, you have a choice. You can be a victim or you can, mm. you can learn from others and teach others. And so, this, this idea that you and I are doing of sharing wisdom and experience mm -hmm. about leadership to help CEOs and top teams is, is why I do that, because of that mm -hmm. moment of when I got it wrong and yeah. like you wasn't authentic enough. It's interesting just listening to you talking, and because, I mean, there are three things that stand out to me why I behave like I did. Uh, one was because I think I had a touch of small man syndrome. Yeah. So I had a big ego. 
we've all got an ego, obviously. But when I started teaching, because I had the the degree and the gown, uh, when I was coaching, I had the coaching award, a tracksuit, whistle around my neck, this and that, so I could interfere with everyone's enjoyment by blowing a whistle. So I had a big ego. Uh, second one was was actually something you mentioned was the environment and the expectations, the environment. Everyone taught like that. Those were the days of discipline in the classroom and discipline on the playing field. Um, don't let kids be kids. Uh, and the, the third thing, and I think this was the biggest one, was the fear factor. Mm-hmm. Fear of not being in control of situations. Yeah. Um, you know, the expectation was if you were a member of staff or you were a coach, you were, in, you were the most dominant figure in the environment, which, I, you know, having gone through life now, and I was, it's a ridiculous notion. Yeah. Uh, it's very often the pl- people on the ground that do the most useful work. Well, it's been some of the things that you've been most famous for. I've, I've made a note yeah. here, sort of the uh, player empowerment uh, yeah. in an amateur era was, was really what you did and the holistic coaching philosophy that you had. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I love that comment. My main job is to improve players individually. Yeah. And, and, and obviously in some a different way, I'm a, a leadership coach to CEOs and teams and I try and help them individually the men and women to become better. So I do relate to what you've done. Let's go around the Inspire Leadership Compass, if we, if we uh, okay. could, could, Brian. Beginning with um, moral, the moral uh, compass, you've been known as a man with very high integrity. Um, uh, what were you know, two or three of your values and, and what happened when you let those values slip and how did you bring yourself back on track again? Because we all slip. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think... Uh... If it qualifies, I think that authenticity is something that stuck with me once I realised the importance of it. Um, curiosity. Yeah. Always willing to, always willing to learn, um, always willing to push boundaries, mm. always willing to look at other environments to see what I could, whether it was other sports, my sport, other sports, education, uh, business, uh, and that stayed with me all the way through. Yeah. Um, this might be partly because of my background. I, I understand the value of simplicity and clarity. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I don't need to be a smart-ass teacher or coach. Yeah. In fact, that's probably the worst thing I can be. But I've come across a lot of people who are. And maybe I was one in the early part of my teaching, coaching career. Maybe that's just a phase you need to go through. Yeah. Till yeah. you, till you learn think- better. I think, I think you're right, just staying with that, uh, um, one, one of my old uh, military bosses used to say, less is more, keep it as simple as possible. Uh, and um, if it can be understood by a 14 year old, then you got it right. If you yeah. made it so complicated that they haven't got a clue what you're saying, yeah. you're trying to be too smart for yourself. And, and the quality of the question defines the quality of the answer you're going to get. So make sure yeah. it's a good question you ask. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I got to the stage where I used to ask players uh, and kids, right, you, you tell me what I've just been talking about. Yeah, that's good. You know, explain it just in real simple language, just explain what I've been talking about. And if they couldn't, then well, I suppose I did, did not been listening. And that was probably my fault because I've not made it interesting enough. Yeah. Um, or, it, it, or more often than not, to be honest with you, it was too complicated. Yeah. No, that's, that's, a great, that's a great one, Brian. Going around to the next element of the compass, Brian, PQ is what we call meaning and purpose, you know, what yeah. you're calling your vocation. It, yeah. It's been a mixture of coaching and teaching, but, but, but what's given your life real meaning and purpose as you look back over it? 
Yeah, I think, uh, and this probably won't surprise you, is, is always looking to challenge the status quo. Mm. Um, I've always been restless, uh, opportunistic, um, always looking to do things differently, to improve things, to lead change. Uh, sort of, I've got a very, really interesting connection with New Zealand, and it, and it is relevant to what you just asked me. Uh, I've now worked for 11 years, no, 12 years, sorry, uh, with the International Rugby Academy arm of New Zealand, mm-hmm. run by an ex-All Black called Murray Mexted that you may well remember, played number eight. And um, I just have a real affinity with New Zealand people. Mm. It's, I was born in the wrong country. Kevin says that all the time. Yeah, because he likes New Zealand too, doesn't he? Oh, well, yeah, he's, uh, he's a citizen, isn't he? He won the Order of Merit, didn't he, for New Zealand? Oh, and right if we done his list, he probably kept that quiet because he did. Yeah, despite all his shouting and screaming, he's quite a quite a humble sort of guy. Um, yeah. So, and so that that's that, that I've got a theory about New Zealand. I think this was prompted by Kevin. He was saying the All Blacks are so good, and New Zealand are so good at many things, despite the fact that their nearest neighbour is Australia, which is about a thousand miles away. It's because if you look at them, you put a map up on the on the on the wall. And New Zealand is right on the edge of the world. So they, they live on the edge. He said they they think on the edge, they practice on the edge, they play on the edge, and they win on the edge. Yeah. It's all yeah. about being on the edge. It's, it's, it, it keeps pushing them and pushing them because his his theory is that they feel as though they might be falling behind because they're out of touch with the real world, the yeah. rest of the world. So yeah. it pushes them. No, so, it's, it's, yeah. a lovely, it's a lovely connection with New Zealand and uh, my family had a generation of them. My father was born there with my, his twin, Pauline. And um, so although I've never been there, um, it, it means a lot to our family. And, and one day I will, when this pandemic, yeah. when this pandemic must, is over, I must go. go. Yeah, I must go. But I would have probably just have arrived back from New Zealand had the pandemic not been on. I was yeah. there All right. before it started last year. I was in Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about um, health and well-being next. Uh, health question. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, fitness of your team players is is crucial. But we've we've got business people or maybe military people who are listening to this. That health and well-being, physical and mental. What what, what sort of tips and advice would you give on each of those areas that have stood you in good stead personally? Yeah, I think the. I mean, I've always been. I've always been interested in in the mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've got a saying, and I think it's my saying. I'm pretty sure I've not stolen it from anywhere. And if I have, and whoever I've stolen it from hears it, I'll put my hand up and say, I do apologise. <laughs> connecting mindset with performance. So it's mindset uh, influences belief. Yeah. Uh, belief drives performance. And performance determines the outcome. Mm. So there's a direct connection between... Um, the mindset, the mental side of, of anything that you do and your ultimate performance. Mm. Um, I, I think, and it's it's an area that's quite neglected in team sports, I think, certainly in this part of the world. Mm. I think the mental well-being, the emotional uh, balance um, and just the ability to, to mentally navigate your way through high pressure environments is incredibly important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, for me, it's, it's the glue that holds everything else together. Mm. I, I've seen players at the very top level of, of the game 
Um, and I've experienced it myself as a player too, to be honest. I was never mentally that strong as a player. Not not at the top level. I was okay when things didn't challenge me that much, but suddenly when I got in the uncomfortable zone, which you do when you're in pressurised environments, I didn't handle it particularly well. But I've, I've seen players who technically are outstanding, mm-hmm. physically in the best condition they could ever be in their life, tactically can follow a plan, uh, but mentally are all over the place. Yeah. So, in fact, it, it completely uh, eliminates all the other abilities they've got because they just cannot handle the environment that they're in. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lovely graph of uh, X and Y axis. The, the, uh, the Y axis is your challenges and the opportunities you have in life. And the X axis is your abilities. And yeah. the 40, 45 degree line is where your abilities match the challenges you've got. And that's, that's sort of that's uh, stasis when nothing really has changed. Just yeah. Yeah. below it, you're not being stretched like you were before you went into professional rugby. But above it, that's the place where you could fail. Hmm. You don't know what you're doing. You're afraid. You're uncertain. But that's the place where I found and the, the research shows that the greatest growth happens living above the 45. But but that's yeah. the place where you could fail. That's the, the bit of you and the maverick where yeah. you push it. You push yourself. I think that's interesting. Yeah. So great. Oh, sorry, yeah. you, you say. So, so one of the things I'm going to mention before was sort of I've sort of over the years, and maybe this comes with age and experience and um, having failed, is I've sort of fearless is one of my characteristics now. I'm not afraid to do things and take risks. Yeah. Maybe other people might not think of doing. Yeah. Um, and I think certainly from a from a coaching and a leadership point of view, creating that, and this sounds a real um what is it oxymoron the opposites isn't it yeah 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 oxymoron yeah is the sort of creating a safe environment of fearlessness yes yeah important at the top level of anything yeah where where people are not afraid to take risks not afraid to fail and and you know from kevin going back to kevin roberts again had this great saying i don't really mention it to you guys or not before but he talks about fail fast learn fast fix fast yeah, and in in a sporting context, especially in the game of rugby, only last eighty minutes, ball in play, less than forty. Yeah, you, you've you've got to learn pretty damn quick. Yeah, so you don't keep making the same mistake over and over again. That, that that's great. No, I I love that one. Fail fast, learn fast, fix fast. Yeah, very very much. And and we talk these days about safe environments at work. They talk about psychological safety. Where you feel there's enough trust around yeah. to take to take some risks, um, and in in some poor firms around these days, people don't feel psychological safety at all. There's not enough trust, and so they won't give that extra bit of discretionary energy to customers or colleagues. Uh, yeah. So I, I relate to that. IQ is the, the next one around the compass, okay. um, uh, and that's sort of like your wisdom and judgment. If there was a bit of a wise bit of advice you, that you've you've lived by, we'll do a top tip later on. But just you know, a bit of practical wisdom what, what yeah. would be another one of your favorite tips well I've, I've already talked well there's two or three actually that's okay i've already yeah. talked keeping life simple yeah i think that's pretty important one things i've learned uh, both through teaching and coaching it took me a while because of my, the nature of how i operate is be an active listener yeah when people are talking let them talk don't don't interrupt halfway through and when they stop talking, this has been really important for me as a coach, educator, and and mentor. Although 
the guy who was in charge of coach education at England Rugby I spoke to last week, hadn't seen him for ages, and he said, oh, I don't use the, ment the word, phrase, ment the word mentor anymore. I use the word thinking partner. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a I, I, time to think thinking partner. Yeah. So I thought that was great. But that illustrates being an active listener. So someone talks and when they stop talking, if you've asked them a question, especially with young coaches or young people, yeah. don't don't speak. Just leave it for 10 seconds and see what happens. Because very often it's the golden nugget that then appears. Um, it's, it's so easy to, to jump in. And I, I can remember when I started on my player ownership journey, um, I thought one of the things I'll do is let players sort out the half-time team talk. And could I resist jumping in when they said something? No, could I help? You know, it, I just could not stand back and listen actively to what they were saying. Because there were times when they didn't need me to say anything at all. They'd said everything that I was going to say. Um, so I think being an active listener is really important. What else I put down? Re retaining, and, and this is really important for me, retaining a thirst for knowledge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like that. So say a bit more about that. I just want to keep on learning about things. Yeah. Um, and as I said uh, earlier on, that you know I'll go anywhere and I'll read anything and watch anything to try and pick up bits and pieces. Even at my time of life, and actually, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm still working part-time, but I've no need to do it. But I just have this thirst for knowledge to try to become a better person. I suppose it goes back to, right back to what I said on the death of the family, or not mm. sorry, the death of the family, the birth of his children, about, you know, you, we've, got, we've got a lifespan on this earth, so let's make the most of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I so agree with that. And I, I, I've, I've admired a number of coaches that I know in the leadership space, not, not necessarily in the, in the coaching teaching space, but you, you've overlapped both, who are very happily coaching in their late 70s. Yeah. And, and actually, they've got some great wisdom to share, which younger people haven't made all the mistakes they've made. Yeah. Uh, I remember I had an American general who was 80. And when I, was, uh, I went to Fort Leavenworth with the staff college intake, and I was given the job of being in charge, the chief of staff of this group of 20 leaders, uh, many are now generals and all special forces and things. And I wasn't good enough to be the one in charge of them, but they put me in charge mm -hmm. and I was really struggling. But this American general said, Jonathan, you haven't got time to make all the mistakes I made. Let me tell you where they buried the anti-personnel mines outside your tent door <laughs> so that you don't have to stand out there and blow your foot off. He said, but the bastards overnight, they planted some more out there. I don't know where those are. <laughs> so you're going to make some mistakes, but don't need to stand on the ones that yeah. I've stood on. Yeah. And, and you know, he'd been in Vietnam. And that, that kind of wisdom that you get, yeah. I, I do think a thinking partner or whether you call it a mentor, someone who has that wisdom and experience, mm -hmm. a coach, I would say, has some great questions for your answers. Mm -hmm. And a mentor has some great answers to your questions. But it depends on whether it's a sporting coach or a leadership coach, and I tend to play between the two. Um, moving on to a thing that's obviously served you well, and it's, it's very much to that deep listening you talked about and mm. not interrupting. And, and if you haven't read it, I do commend to you Nancy Klein's book, which is about thinking partners. She, she trained my wife and myself. Um, called, um, it, it's called The Promise That Changes Everything. I Won't Interrupt You. 
<laughs> the Promise. Just call The Promise. Nancy Klein with a K-L-I-N-E. It's a great read. Uh, and her audio book is very good. She's a very, very, quiet, yeah. very quietly spoken woman. Um, I've just got Helen's just remember taking a, taking a note yeah taking yeah. a note um and, and it's it's on my website jonathanperks.com oh, okay. if yeah. you go to there's various there's about 20 different books on there but a couple yeah. of her books are on there which yeah. are good and and my old boss richard danner too he wrote leading from the front which was a, it's a good read as well um yeah eq this emotional intelligence rapport building listening mm. um influencing people emotional and social intelligence what what would be your tips on 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 eq um, well, I think I probably alluded to it before under the sort of mental skills area. Yeah. That I think, you know, to, to, it's so crucial to engage with people, mm. to give them the opportunity to put their, their thoughts and ideas forward. I, um, this was really hammered home to me when I was coaching at Bath Rugby. Yeah. So I found myself, 1988, I'd been, uh, moved schools. I'd come to teach down in the West Country in Somerset. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd, as I'm, I don't know that I mentioned it before or not. In 1985, I'd actually been appointed assistant coach in the senior team on the New Zealand tour. So it was my first ever senior appointment was on tour to New Zealand. And four or five of the Bath players have been on that tour. And for whatever reason, they seem to think I've done a decent job. And as soon as word got round that I was teaching in Somerset, then the, the then head coach, Jack Rowell, um, who created the Bath Revolution, I sort of jumped on the bandwagon and helped to evolve it. And he went on to coach England when I took over from at Bath. Uh, he said, come on, come and coach, uh, come and help me coach at Bath, so, for which I did. And I very, very quickly found, Jonathan, that uh, the, the team was full of international players that there were players in that team that knew a lot more about certain areas of the game than I did. And so I suddenly realised straight away, look, I'm going to have to change my the way I approach coaching here because I've got to engage with these guys. You know, we need, we need their knowledge. Um, I need to learn from them. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, it's actually revolutionised my coaching. And, and I think that, that really struck home with me that, that the importance of making connections with with people because mm. um, hell if you don't you never know what they're thinking or saying or what what knowledge they have yeah and there's uh, so many there's so many teachers and coaches and i was one for 10 15 years at the start of my life who actually don't allow that to come out no no they just uh, dictate the environment and that's it yeah uh, I, my mother uh, who brought us uh, three boys up um on, on her own with after my father was killed she had a motto, which is everybody you meet, Jonathan, has something to teach you. If only if only you'd listen to them. Absolutely. And her other one was imagine everybody in the world is enlightened apart from you. They're all enlightened beings mm. and they have so much, but you're not. Yeah. So, so you'll learn something from them. Either it's good or it's bad, how not to behave as, or how to behave. And yeah. that's something you said. Now, an interesting little story if we've got time. Yeah. On that one. Uh, in terms of uh, understanding what, what people or, or listening to what people know, what, trying to find out what they know and what they don't know. So making that emotional connection with them. So I ran the England Rugby National Academy for a while. I instigated it from, from a blank sheet of paper. And in the first intake, there were some really interesting guys. So 13 out of the 16 went on to play senior rugby for England. So it was relatively successful. 
And, uh, at the end of every day, I made it a point of um, engaging these guys to find out what they knew about rugby. And <laughs> one day I said, okay, we'll, um, we're going to have 45 minutes now um, on counter-attack. Tell me what you know about counter-attack. And I threw the pen to a lad sat on the front row. His name was Dylan Hartley, who obviously captained England for four or five years. And he just arrived in England from New Zealand. And I thought he'll be a good choice because New Zealand is have a good rugby knowledge. So he came up to the front and he stood there and he looked, he was a very confident young man, but he looked incredibly nervous and completely out of place. And he said, uh, don't really get involved in counter-attack, Mr Ashton. So, okay, fine. I said, just go and sit down over there then. Then the next guy came up, a guy called David Wilson, Newcastle prop forward, played 40-odd caps for England, I think. Same answer. These were kids, they were 16, 17-year-old at the time. And the other one was Matt Mullen, who got two or three caps. We, so we got three players there, and I said, and I thought the penny would have dropped by then. So I asked the question, I said, is there anybody else in the room who doesn't think that they play any sort of a role at all when we counter-attack? And the two second-row forwards in the group put their hands up. <laughs> I thought, God almighty. So they went and sat. So I said, OK, the opposition kickers the ball, and you five might as well walk off the pitch because you don't play any role whatsoever in what happens next. And they sort of looked at me, and Dylan Hartley said, oh, I didn't mean that. So he got the pen back, and he went up, and he started writing and talking, and we had the most fantastic 45 minutes that he yeah. led. Yeah, um, but I had I had I not engaged with them to find out what they knew, that yeah. would never have happened. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. I just wonder how often sort of people do engage to find out what it is the people in your environment actually know, what knowledge yeah. they got. Yeah, you know, what do they feel? Talk about the emotional side. How do they feel about certain things? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. it's so it's so very important, Brian. And yeah. um, I, I read a book recently, which is a good read as well, uh, called "Life Is in the Transitions." It's about our highs and lows in our life, yeah. and um, we often think that when we get through this tough time, then we'll start living life. But actually, yeah. life is in those transitions. That that peak or that that really yeah. tough time that you learn a lot, which stands you in stead when things are better. And I'm a big believer in Stoic philosophy, Marcus Aurelius, yeah, yeah. Epictetus and Seneca. I, I, I listen to the Daily Stoic every day, which is a good, good bit of wisdom, yeah. which, which leads me on to resilience, RQ, mm. uh, coping with adversity, setbacks. You, you've had some great successes, particularly against you know, Australia, uh, mm. when you just had such a hard time and no one expected that and wham, you smashed it. And then you know, tough times when, you know, you, you, you've lost, when people were hoping you were going to win. So what have you learned about uh, adversity and, and what bit of wisdom would you give to people? Because we all make mistakes and we all have, I've had many setbacks and disappointments and failures, but, but what would be your wisdom on resilience? Um, I think it's knowing that things because I'm 74 years old and I've been through, as you, as you pointed out, uh, not, not deliberately pointed out, I might add, that I've had successes and failures. I think you, the more failures you have and the more times you get out, the more resilient you become. Yeah. And I think one of the key things for me about resilience is actually when things are not going well, I now know there, there will be a time when this will end. Yeah. And then I can move forward. 
So always try and look to the present. What can I do next? I know this is going to end. It might not end today. It might not end tomorrow. It might not end next week, but it will end. There will be an end point to this. Yeah. And, and focus on what am I going to do next? How yeah. am I going to move on? Yeah, that's great wisdom. That's I love it. Yeah, I, I, I've thought of a couple of situations where I find very tough, but you, 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 you know, I think it was the, uh, the Roman emperors when they had a triumph that they were awarded by Rome and you you were in Roma you speak Italian yeah yeah uh, and and when they were awarded their triumph and they went down the Via Principala yeah. on the Decumana which was when they got decimated every tenth would get taken out because they'd lost but down yeah. the Principala uh, they'd have a, a slave behind them whispering this too shall pass sir <laughs> so when things were good this too shall pass when things were bad this too shall pass uh, and King yeah. Solomon had the same yeah. um, the, the last couple brand and then legacy before we talk about a book and uh, wrap up with your top, your final top tip, uh, what what um, what uh, what would you like your sort of brand to be, or what have you learned about brand and reputation, image and impact? Because people often worry too much about their personal brand and what others yeah. think about them. What, what's your view? Well, I think I did too. I think I've grown out of it. I've gone through life, and actually, I'm, I'm not. I'm not that desperately interested, to be honest, Jonathan. Now, what people do think of me. Yeah, I know what I've done in my life. The people I've worked alongside know what I've done. Um, not everyone's enjoyed what I've done, um, but I've not enjoyed how other people have operated either. And I think that's just part of life. And I think you've just... One of the key things for me was, um, and again, Kevin helped quite a lot in this, was becoming self-aware, having a purpose in life. Mm. What is my purpose yeah. in life? And... Uh, it is. It's just, I mentioned it earlier on, I think, to challenge the status quo. Yeah. But, but I'm pretty self-aware. Sometimes you don't make friends when you challenge the status quo. Yeah. But actually, if that's part of who you are, then actually it, you can ride with it. Yeah. I, I wish I had the wisdom you had. Um, when I had Richard Danner as my uh, uh, mentor to me, um, even though he had been one of his company commanders, he was my commanding officer, I wrote a sort of short paper called The Army Needs More Mavericks, back to your point. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, had some cartoons to go with it. I was going to publish it. And he went, if you want to have a career in the army, don't publish it. I, oh, OK. And I didn't publish it. I, 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 chick I chickened yeah. out, which yeah. probably is right. I think it was just a ranting of a, of a, of a young man who knew <laughs> enough, but not enough and hadn't actually been a general or a brigadier or a commanding officer, but thought he knew how to run the army. Anyway, it was hilarious. Legacy. What would you like your legacy to be in a, in a simple word, Brian? How would you like to be remembered? When well, I'm, when I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to go back to Lancaster Royal Grammar School. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously, it had a big influence on me, influence on me despite the fact that I got expelled. Uh, and their motto is priasis ut process, which means leader, lead in order to serve. Yeah. And... Certainly for the, the main part of my life, I've really tried to do that. Um, I, I look at environments now that I've been in, the school environment, the professional sport environment, pupils more important than teachers, yeah. players are more important than coaches and managers. Yeah. And I think that's a nice note. We'll end on this one, Brian. So, so that top tip, which was your top tip as well, this idea of uh, leaders lead in order to serve, just say a little bit more about how people can apply that tip to business, 
to leading people in 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 work in a work environment what would be your advice to them well i think it's uh, i talked about i think i talked about mentioned command control earlier on didn't i, mm. I yeah mean, to the other end it's sort of the and you'll be very well aware of this i think and the mission control sort of model mm. whereby we have a purpose to what we do yeah um we and, and I always feel that I tried have tried to in the past thirty years or so, thirty five years, enable uh, either my players or my pupils um, with tools, yeah. with resources, and with importantly with opportunities um, to to do things, to try things, to take risks uh, in in that sort of safe that bizarre world of safe, fearless environment. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's, you know, that, that's, that's been really important. And it's, you know, I can't remember what the question was now. Well, just really, your top tip and, and how yeah. important Serve to Lead was to you. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, I suppose it all boils down to what, when, you, when you put all that together, it's going back to things I've talked about before. It's that, that full engagement, that active listening to other people, that giving them the opportunity to, to look at things and try things. Because, I mean, I know for a fact that pupils and players very often look at the world through different eyes that I do. One of the things I always tried to, or I tried to develop in my coaching was see the game through the eyes of a player. Yeah. Um, Try and understand the decision making through the mind of a player. Yeah. And um, so look at it through uh, from a player's point of view, not from a coach's point of view. No. You know, we're all the smart artists stood on the touchline, sat in the stand, nowhere near going back to that word, the emotion of the action of, yeah. in, in the moment. Yeah. So we've no idea what's running through people's minds. Um, we're not in the heat of the battle. We can't feel the intensity, but yet we make all these big decisions based on yeah. thinking we can. That's uh, 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 spot on. So, Brian Ashton, MBE, thank you very much indeed. So, it's been a great privilege, a real privilege, you. having you on the Inspiring Leadership series. Uh, I wish you and your wife Helen every success, enjoying your lovely lodge there near Bath. Back, you, back to your roots. But thank you for being on the series, Brian. It's okay. been really great. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.